Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. If you're just heading into the office or you've got to move on with your day, you can still hear today's full edition of Detroit Today on the Detroit Today podcast. Go to iTunes or wherever it is that you download podcasts. You can download and subscribe to Detroit Today, and then you can listen to us whenever or wherever you want to. All right, uh, a little later in the show, we're going to talk about the future of Planned Parenthood. With a Republican in the White House, a Republican majority in Congress, Planned Parenthood is back in the crosshairs. Uh, They are talking about stripping its funding. The issue, of course, is uh, the abortion services that Planned Parenthood, in some cases, uh, is related to. Uh, Robert Sedler, who's a law professor at Wayne State University, says it may not be so easy for Republicans to strip funding away from Planned Parenthood, that uh, that the law may prevent that from happening. We'll hear from him. We'll also talk with Ed Rivett, who's the legislative director of Right to Life of Michigan, about that group's position on this issue. Of course, lurking in the background of that debate is the future of Roe v. Wade, which always comes up when we are talking about uh, Planned Parenthood and abortion services. Also talking about uh, the Supreme Court, uh, Neil Gorsuch, one of the new, the newest justice on the court. Uh, what does he think about Roe v. Wade? Would he be another vote uh, to overturn it? Um, uh, so we're going to talk about that a little later in the show. We're going to want to hear from you, of course, what you think about Republicans targeting of Planned Parenthood. Do you think it's an organization that shouldn't get uh, government funding? Do you think that uh, we should still be having a very pitched debate about abortion uh, in the context of Roe v. Wade? Uh, 313-577-1019 is always the number to join that conversation. But first, the dust is beginning to settle in Washington at least just a little bit after last week's news that President Trump was going to fire FBI Director James Comey, the man who has been investigating Trump's campaign and its possible connections to Russia. Of course, one big remaining question is who Trump will select to replace Comey and when, how that person will be received in the Congress, and of course, what happens as we go forward and this investigation continues. Does it get compromised by the president's interference? Uh, the president said on television last week that it was on his mind, this Russia investigation, when he decided to fire. James Comey, does that compromise things for whoever steps into that role and tries to continue the investigation? Joining us now to talk about what is going on in Washington is Tim Alberta. He's a reporter with Politico magazine. Tim, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, good morning, Stephen. Yes. Uh, So so let's quickly catch up with where we are after the weekend news shows, uh, the the, the debates that that, uh, still are unfolding over what the president did and what's next. Did we learn anything, uh, especially on those Sunday news shows, that we didn't really anticipate or know last week? You know, not really. I, not, not in my estimation. I, I think that we're, we're probably maybe uh, at the stage where we're coming to terms a little more with what happened and, and sort of letting it sink in. I think, you know... It, 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 
the entire incident was bizarre from start <laughs> to finish. And I think, uh, you know, sort of career professionals, both in the political arena and in the national security arena, um, you know, Bob Gates on, on CBS Face the Nation was sort of speaking to this, are just not entirely sure sort of how to respond to some of these things and, and how to kind of process them because it's, it is so far outside of, of, the, of the conventions that, that we have all, I think, sort of become familiar with. And for the president to fire the FBI director is one thing. That's, that's his right, and, and he has the purview, obviously. But I think for him to not have a replacement lined up, for the vice president to come out and give uh, one set of facts for why, you know, to explain the firing, and then, and then for the president to directly contradict them, um, for the president to essentially admit in an interview that it was because of, of the Russia investigation and, and Comey's handling of it, and because the president felt that the Russia investigation was a witch hunt and, and should be discontinued. And, and many more things. I mean, Sarah Huckabee Sanders to stand at the White House press podium and say that she personally has spoken with countless FBI agents who mm-hmm. were, were glad that Comey had been fired. I, and I'm just scratching the surface. I mean, it was just such a bizarre week, such a whirlwind, Stephen, that I feel like everybody <laughs> is now kind of catching their breath and and attempting to, to uh, I don't want to say normalize it, but just sort of, uh, you know, move beyond it and see what happens next. And, and who Trump nominates, I think, obviously, to, to cap a long-winded and sort of winding answer here, I think who Trump nominates is just the, the question now on everybody's mind. There's sure. nothing that anybody can do to sort of go back and, and, and uh, you know, change what happened last week, but I think everybody is, is intensely focused on who his pick is going to be and whether it's somebody with any sort of uh, sort of partisan affiliation, somebody who could be viewed as loyal to Trump in the sense that Comey was not in terms of, you know, continuing and even ramping up this Russian investigation. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, the narratives here or, or one of the sub-narratives is how the Republican majority in Washington continues to deal with President Trump and the things that he's doing. As you point out, he's doing things and saying things that are extraordinary in the context of the chief executive. We have never had a president who's behaved this way, who has said the things that he has said. At the same time, he's a member of the Republican Party. And there, I think, is still great hope among Republicans in Congress that he can lead them to some of the policy victories that they have wanted for a long time. At the same time, uh, I was reading in USA Today this morning uh, about the credibility gap that the president faces. I mean, just a few months into his presidency, a Quinnipiac poll this month said that by 61 to 33 percent, the American public says Trump is not honest. Uh, It's a 28 percentage point underwater rating on honesty. I mean, that's incredible. And so I think as we go forward, one of the big questions is, how does the Republican Party handle this? Uh, are we starting to see cracks, perhaps, in the sort of party loyalty that unfolded in the wake of Donald Trump's nomination and during the election? And had to have people, people of credibility inside the party say, hold on a second, there's something else going on here that might be more important. Well, you're absolutely right that it's, it's a key subplot to the Trump presidency, and I think maybe I am naive, Stephen, but I, I did anticipate a more muscular 
pushback on the Trump administration, especially from conservatives in Congress, folks who sort of said that they learned their lesson during the Bush presidency in that the legislative branch had been far too deferential to, to Bush, both uh, on spending, on taxes, on the wars, obviously. And I think there was a real sense with this incoming administration that the conservatives in Congress, uh, particularly you know members of the Freedom Caucus, guys who sort of pride themselves on being conservatives first and Republicans second and sort of elevating an ideological and, and a mission of ideology and of principle ahead of the party, I think those were the folks who I really expected to be more aggressive in, in checking the presidency. And I think in some cases they have. You saw them go toe-to-toe with the White House and, and stare them down over the original health care bill that they, that they helped to torpedo. But that was a policy stance. I think in terms of kind of checking some of the overreach of the administration and, um, and calling out its excesses, perhaps, we have not seen much of that, and we certainly have not seen it from Republican leadership. Uh, Paul Ryan went radio silent for nearly 24 hours mm-hmm. after the Comey firing, which is really extraordinary. I, I don't think folks who you know, aren't in Washington or aren't on Capitol Hill can really appreciate how, how remarkable it is for the Speaker of the United States House of Representatives to go an entire day without commenting on the president suddenly and abruptly and without any coherent explanation firing the FBI director. Right. And I think Ryan's radio silence there sort of spoke volumes of, about how the leadership of the party is just kind of content to you know, take a back seat to Trump, and their hope has been all along and continues to be that they have sort of made a deal with the devil here and that they're not going to agree with a lot of what he says and does, and, and privately they're going to grumble about it, but mostly they're going to keep quiet, Stephen, because they don't want to antagonize him. They, they want him to push through their policy objectives, whether it be on health care or tax reform or any number of other things, and they feel as though speaking out against the president will only be a setback to those policy goals. And, of course, that opens them up to an enormous amount of criticism for, you know, putting party over country and, and, for, and for not serving as the sort of aggressive check on the executive branch that they all, you know, wanted to serve as during the last presidency, which, of course, was, you know, one of another party. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Tim Alberta. He's a reporter with Politico magazine. We're talking about last week's extraordinary news, the president of the United States firing the director of the FBI, then later admitting that the thing that was on his mind, or one of the things at least that was on his mind when he did that, was that FBI director's investigation into this presidency, into the campaign that led Donald Trump to the White House. We're sort of exploring the question of what's next? Who would be uh, the next FBI director? Who would be somebody who could restore credibility, perhaps, to that agency and to the investigation into the Trump administration's behavior Uh, during last year's campaign. If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call. Tell us what you think about what we have learned last week and what you expect to see coming up in the next few weeks with regard to this issue. Uh, What what would Donald Trump have to do to regain your confidence with regard to an FBI director? Is there somebody that you think could do that job in a way uh, 
that would make all of these questions sort of melt into the background. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Tim, I want to ask you about the other issues that are going on in Washington. I think it's even hard for people perhaps to remember that before last week, we were actually talking about issues in Washington, and and there was a legislative agenda that finally seemed to be taking shape. Uh, the president got his version of health care reform through the House of Representatives. That bill is headed to the Senate for for some debate, and he put at least a, a skeleton of a tax reform plan on the table. Those things seem to, to absolutely go away last week in the wake of, of the news. Uh, is, it, is it possible that we will get back to those questions now? I mean, are, are we going to see health care take center stage in the next few weeks? Are we going to see the tax plan maybe get some hearings uh, and, and some debate? Uh, how easy will it be for the president to sort of pivot back to real issues? I think it's going to be hard, and and I'll I'll say this, Stephen, uh, you know, to your original point, it's exactly right. I, I think lost in all of the craziness of last week was the reality that we were only about a week removed from the president hosting all of these House Republicans in the Rose Garden to celebrate the passage of the American Health Care Act, which, you know, it was premature and a little bit silly the way that they celebrated it, but that it was no small accomplishment to get to, to, to muscle that bill through the House and then to get the working group going on the other side of the Senate to start, you know, crafting their version, there was a real sense of momentum. And there you are a week later, and it feels not only like the moment, like the momentum has evaporated, but in, in many ways it almost felt like the wheels were coming off. Yeah. And so I think, you know, look, sure, the Senate is going to continue to work on health care, and both chambers are sort of tinkering with, with tax reform, and they're looking to other things down the road, infrastructure and, and innovation, technology bills. But I think it's very difficult. You know, I think a lot of folks have made this point over the last couple of days, Stephen, and it's a really good one, that nothing has yet happened to sort of consume the president external to the White House. There has not been a, a terrorist attack, God forbid. There has not been a natural disaster. There has not been some, some major, there has not been a Ferguson-style event with, with great civic unrest. There has not been any sort of major external event to kind of rock the White House to its core and to test the president and to test his team and how they respond in sort of the heat of the moment. A lot of the major controversies that we have lived through during these first 115 days or so are self-made. Uh, they have come from inside the White House. So the question is, now that the White House has sort of, uh, you know, created this firestorm last week and sort of ridden through it, and I think some credibility has absolutely been lost during the process. But now the waters begin to calm again, and Trump is overseas on this trip, and he's going to name a new, white, uh, a new FBI director in the next several days, and things will start to probably return back to normal. But the question is, and I think this has been the great apprehension of many Trump supporters, is can he 
piece together a long enough period of time, a long enough stretch of time that is relatively stable and, and, and without any great controversy, yeah. in which you can actually work on and advance some of these major policy initiatives uh, without distraction. And I think so far the answer has been no. It's very early, and we, and we, sh- you know, we should note that it's only 115 days in. But I, I, I struggle to see how this president, as impulsive as he is and as easily sort of baited as he is, can string together a significant window of time where they can actually work on some of these major legislative pushes because tax reform and health care reform are serious business. Are it's very hard time. to do even in a normal environment, but it's almost impossible to do them in this type of environment. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody, both people inside the Republican Party and outside, are waiting for the sort of normalization to take place of this of this administration. I mean, it, it got off to a very rocky start with a lot of, I, I think, uh, questionable characters involved with it. I think everybody figured, okay, well, they'll find their footing eventually and figure out how this all works. And we just have not seen... We've not seen any signal that, that, that that's coming. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Let's go to Hillary. Hillary in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, can you hear me? I sure can. Hi, I called originally to get your perspective on this double standard that seems to have swept the nation between the two parties in that Barack Obama could wear a beige suit to (laughs) a public (laughs) um, outing, and and it causes an uproarious, like, two-week scandal. But this president can admit to obstruction of justice. um, (laughs) And nobody cares. (laughs) Right. And then to the point that you were just making, I don't think we'll ever be able to string together any sort of normalcy because... That implies that as a nation, we have to take amnesia pills and ignore the fact that everything that this administration has done has been a conflict of interest from the very beginning. From us accepting his family members as part of cabinet to his son-in-law running most of the country, I mean, where are we as a nation that we don't have a backbone to say, no, this is not acceptable in a presidency, and we will not accept this, and we need to begin the legal you know, process to get this man out of office. And yeah. now I'll take your comments off the air. Yeah. Thank Hil- you. Hillary, thanks very much uh, for the call and those, and those thoughts. I mean, I think uh, there are a lot of people who are scratching their heads about the same those same questions about, you know, just just nine months ago, we had a president who, who couldn't make a move uh, without uh, an incredible amount of criticism being leveled at him, and and now we've got somebody who is doing some rather extraordinary things, things that we've never seen before from somebody in the Oval Office, and his supporters in particular seem unshaken by it, and, and the party that he belongs to seems unwilling to, to, to jump up and say anything about it. I don't think you can talk about that, Hillary, without mentioning the, the the racial issue here. I mean, I think that the fact that uh, that Barack Obama was the first African-American president was one of the big reasons that he was in for as much criticism as he was and, and had so little move, room to maneuver, as you point out, not just in a policy context, but in terms of what he wore. Uh, I remember the controversy over his beige suit. I remember the, the controversy over him taking his jacket off in the Oval Office, uh, I mean, the, the incredible derision 
that that he stomached, um, you know, it, it's different now. And and Donald Trump, I think, is an incredibly privileged individual who is stretching the bounds of that privilege. I think with with his behavior. But Hillary, again, thanks very much for the call. Let's go to uh, John in Brighton. John, welcome to Detroit today. Yeah, how you doing? I'm good. Good. Yeah, you know, I just was kind of listening to your radio station, and, and it just kind of seems like, you know, like there's a negative vibe on Trump. And, and I got to say, Trump's a leader, man. He's in there killing it right now. He's changing all these, you know, messed up laws and getting all these unethical people out of office. And I think he's doing a wonderful job. As far as, you know, I'm trying to understand where you guys are coming from as far as, like, getting things back to normal and 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 getting things done i think he's doing doing that in an extraordinary way one like nobody's ever done before so john just, so john can you give me an example of the things you think he's he's accomplished well getting rid of comey i mean that was a perfect example i mean this guy was unethical everybody hated him um even his own fbi people and then the democrats all they could do is talk negative about him and now that trump threw him out and all everybody's <laughs> all he's a you know with, with, trump did the wrong thing it's just that's just one example so john, of you know the, so john, the uh, hypocrisy so john you don't see so if if donald trump had fired jim comey on the first day of his administration and said this is somebody who acted unethically during the during the campaign i think that would have been one thing but to do it now after the fbi director has admitted under oath that he's investigating the administration, this administration, for its behavior during the campaign, uh, and then for the president to go on the television and say, "Well, that was what was in my mind when I did that." You don't, you don't see an ethical problem there at all. Well, I mean, I, I totally, I think Trump was looking to get rid of Comey long before, right from the rip. I mean, so it why was didn't just he do a matter it? Of, what's that? Why didn't he do it? Well, he was just waiting for the for the time to get rid of him, and 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 that was just perfect timing. I felt you know it was right on point. And he's the president of the United States; he could do whatever he wants. I mean, he doesn't. I mean, the guy the guy just he knew he had to get him out of there, yeah. and it was just perfect timing. I, I thought. Okay, well, John, I, I I appreciate the call. Obviously, I don't I don't necessarily agree with everything you said there, but I but I th- I, I think you reflect a very important point of view and one that is. That is very common, obviously, uh, out there right now. I think the president's supporters, as I said, are unshaken by the things that we're seeing. And I think at some point we're going to have to come to reckon with why that's true and maybe get uh, you and, and the other supporters back into the into the fold of, of mainstream thinking here. But I do really appreciate the call, and I appreciate the fact that you're listening. Uh, Tim Alberta, t- uh, talk about that support that the president still has. I mean, somebody like John, unfazed, completely unshaken by the idea that the president may have fired the FBI director for investigating his administration. Barack Obama, there's no way he could have gotten away with that. Why is it that Donald Trump still maintains this very fervent support among those who were really all about him? So we spoke earlier about normalcy and about convention and, and the way that Washington works and, and, and the, the, the process that we have all grown accustomed to, Stephen. And I think for many Trump voters, they sent him as 
something of a jackass to Washington. Sure. They, they sent him here to tear this place apart, to destroy the conventions, to upend the process, to, to bring an end to the normalcy as they saw it, which was you know, kind of a, a good old boys club here working for the advancement of the few at the expense of the many. And when they see Trump fire the FBI director, and when the Trump White House uh, very, I think, smartly and effectively uses social media and, and other messaging means to, to disseminate uh, this, this, this message of, well, Democrats had been bashing Jim Comey for months, and suddenly now they're, they're angry at us. I think that it was a, a valid point for the administration to make. Now, obviously, <laughs> the, the fact that, uh, as you laid out very articulately, that, that, that the Russia investigation had, had essentially uh, come to the forefront of the, the president's mind in making this decision, I think makes it something else entirely. But the point is, without getting sidetracked, that many Trump supporters believe that he is essentially doing exactly what they sent him here to do, which is to shake things up, which is to scare some people, which is to anger some people, to, I think, probably put the, the political establishment in both parties kind of on knife's edge. I don't think that most Trump supporters mind. I, I do think, however, that the, the base is starting to erode just a little bit. When you see an approval rating at 38%, sure. which is what we've seen pretty consistently over the last three weeks or so for Trump, that, that tells you right there that this is not a unified Republican Party continuing to stand by, behind Trump. It, it tells you that much of the party still is, Stephen. But, you know, he won, I, I believe, 46% nationally. Yeah. And so clearly some of that support is starting to slip away. And I think if he's not very careful especially the support that he won among college-educated suburban whites, folks who have been traditional Republican voters and who were probably very much on the fence through most of the campaign, but who ultimately swung into his column late because they just couldn't stomach the idea of voting another Clinton into the White House. I think a lot of those folks, Trump is losing, and he's got to be very careful because he's not going to be able to win re-election in 2020 without them. And more immediately, Republicans down the ballot in 2018 are going to get annihilated if they do not have the support of those college-educated suburban white voters who have really formed the backbone of the modern Republican Party, especially in off-year elections where turnout is much, much lower. So there is a real risk to the Republican Party here that starting in 2019, they could lose the Senate, they could even lose the House, and then suddenly everything that we thought the party was going to be able to accomplish policy-wise is going to go out it the window. I think away. that's the sort of existential political threat that, that, that Trump is sort of inviting here. Yeah. All right. Tim Alberta, reporter with Politico magazine, as always. Thanks for joining us on Detroit Today. My pleasure. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, up next, we're going to talk about GOP plans to defund Planned Parenthood, and we'll talk about the future of Roe v. Wade. Stay with us on Detroit Today.